Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference one word at a time. Now, here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Well, there are now more than 18 million uh, Americans suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder. In many cases, that anxiety can be painful, and uh, in many, too, it can be actually crippling. Counselor Corinne Zupko developed a plan to manage her own paralyzing anxiety disorders, and she's spent the past 20 years helping others do the same. And she'll join us uh, in the second half of today's show to discuss her new book, From Anxiety to Love. And talking of love, if you're finding it hard to meet the love of your life, we're talking with Shamin Ajan, who says mindfulness can be the missing link between soulless dating and finding your soulmate. She's the author of uh, Seeking Soulmate, Ditch the Dating Game and Find Real Connection. And uh, she's joining us right now. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's been in practice since 2004 and specializes in relationships. She's blogged extensively about mindful dating using a mindful dating model that she developed for use in her practice. And uh, as I said, she's the author of Seeking Soulmate, Ditch the Dating Game and Find Real Connection. Shamin Ajan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, very pleased to have you here. I want to uh, first of all ask you, I know you're married with small children. Where did you uh, meet and how did you meet your soulmate? Well, I was quite (laughs) young when I met my uh, husband. We were 22 and we met at a trendy uh, lounge called the Bowery Bar in uh, lower Manhattan. And he was the guy on the dance floor dancing all crazy by himself. And I was one of the girls in the booth, and he turned to me and pointed to me and dragged me out of the booth, and we danced together, and we uh, hit it off, and we're together since then. So you can meet somebody in a bar or a lounge. I wouldn't recommend that be your primary source of finding a partner, but it is possible. Right, right. So you, you've you uh, done an incredible amount of work on this subject in, in the field of relationships and finding love. What was it that drove you to do this kind of work? You know, I didn't enter my practice thinking that this was the kind of work that I was going to do. It just kind of found me. And I think I was young at the time. I was in my mid-20s to late-20s, and I was getting a lot of women and men in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they weren't coming to me because of dating in particular. But if you're single and you're in therapy, inevitably dating is going to come up because it is this uniquely stressful process kind of across the board. And so over time, I kept seeing the same kinds of issues coming into my office over and over and over again. And I just, you know, over time started noticing I was using a lot of the same techniques and finding that I was getting a lot of success using both my uh, training in cognitive behavioral therapy and in mindfulness and created a model that I found was really helpful for people. So my question was going to be, my next question was going to be, what makes your book different? And that is, is partly what makes your book different, isn't it? T- tell us why you think your book is different, because there are so many 
Uh, I was really shocked when I looked in the in that section at the bookstore. There are a lot of books. <laughs> there there on this are topic. a lot of books, and it's a little overwhelming to think that you can uh, do something that's a little bit different. But yeah, I think what makes my book unique is the approach of um, mindfulness and CBT being used. There's not really another book out there that uses those methods with dating. Um, and then I think also, I mean, I. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest therapist of all time, but I would say my superpower is really being relatable and connecting with people and building that therapeutic alliance with folks. I think people really can connect with me and I can connect with them. And I think I bring that to the book with pop culture references, experiences from my own life, clinical vignettes, and just relatable stories and characters that I've had throughout my uh, practice that I've brought to life in this book. Right, right. Uh, that comes across in your voice that you really enjoy this work, by the way. Oh, um, thank you. So you mentioned, uh, I know you use mindfulness and cognitive behavioral behavior therapy. So tell us a little bit about how you apply uh, cognitive behavioral therapy to this. Yeah, so CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is really all about this theoretical framework um, that um, has you thinking about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Your thoughts affect the way you feel. Your feelings affect the way you behave. Your behaviors affect the way you think and vice versa. They're all interconnected. And so I was noticing a lot of people were coming in with the same kinds of thoughts and worries and self-esteem issues and bringing past issues onto their pres- into their present situations. And so really being aware of those dating distortions, as I call them in my book, um, but the general term is cognitive distortions, but there are particular dating distortions that people bring into their dates where they overgeneralize in a certain way, where they have kind of black and white thoughts about dating, um, where you know they personalize things. And so really bringing all of that um, awareness about your thoughts and your behaviors and using that as a way to intervene in terms of your feelings, because you can't change the way you feel about a situation but you can indirectly change your thoughts and and behaviors, and that can change the way you're feeling. Right. One of the things I want to talk about, because I've never seen this in a a dating book before, but um, and I've looked at a lot of them, a lot have come over my desk, as you can imagine, over the years. Um, But we've done other subjects. We've done other shows on this in business, and that's personal branding. And you say personal branding can really get in the way when you're dating. So talk talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, I find that people, in in general, we want to present ourselves in the best way, right? That's natural. You want the person to like you. But I think people go overboard with that, where they are coming as a representative of themselves and not their real selves. And so their personal branding is, you know, coming up with a whole identity around who you are instead of just being who you are. And that prevents you from making that genuine connection with somebody. You have to come as authentic as possible. Yes, you want to look great. Yes, you want to highlight the wonderful things about you, but you don't want to present yourself as an alternate version of yourself or else eventually the real you is going to show up and the relationship is going to go down the tube. Right, right. And following on from that, you say in the book, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people tell me that love should not be so hard. You shouldn't have to put so much effort into finding a relationship. If it's meant to be, love will come to you. Um, mm-hmm. I can only say that the people I know who've got married over the last three or four years 
have put a lot of work into it. <laughs> That's right. And think about that message you're getting if you're not finding love, right? If mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong, you know, you're there's something wrong with you. You should, shouldn't be trying so hard. It will come to you if, you know, you stop trying. No, that is not true. But I do think maybe what, what people are really trying to get at is being so stressed about it, being so anxious about it, coming from it, um, coming to it from an anxious place, that probably is going to get in the way. But I think that if you are ready for love and it's a priority, that is fine to own. And it's important for you to put it in the forefront. It's important for you to, you know, make yourself available, you know, in any kind of um, experience that you're having. You never know where the person that you're meant to be with is going to pop up in your life. But if you are have your head down in your phone or if you are closed off, then you're going to be missing out on those opportunities. Right, right. So you have a list of top 10 dating myths. Um, <laughs> one of them is if it's not love at first sight, then you should just give up. Right. So what do you so have I to think, say about I think that? love at first sight is a myth. I think it's really what you're experiencing is lust. Right. At first sight. <laughs> and relationships, yes, sex is an important part of a relationship, but it's not the only important part of a relationship. And I find that a lot of the successful relationships that I see around me are slow burners. They're ones that are built on a foundation that's more than just about sexual attraction. It's also about what you have in common with somebody. It's about how the person treats you and how the person makes you feel. It's about, you know, how you guys are connecting on all these different levels. And then, yes, sex is a part of that. But leading with that um, gets people in trouble. Right, right. Another one of those myths that I think a lot of people like to um, override this one, if you will, but uh, you say what your friends and family think of your relationship is not important. You say that's a myth. Yeah, um, I think that it is a myth. Um, and, you know, people might push back on that one a little bit, but your friends and your family are, you know, an important part of your life. I mean, what do you think about that? What has your experience been? My experience, I was told by my grandmother and my mother when I very first started dating, look at how he treats his mother because that's one day how he'll end up treating you. And I must admit, there was one guy that I was really uh, in lust with. I'll use the lust word. (laughs) And um, I couldn't see anything wrong with him, but he treated his mother horribly. And of course, you know, a couple of months into it, he started treating me the same way. So I kind Mm -hmm. of stuck by that thing. And also, they also told me how, um, you know, how they treat waiters and how they treat service people is is another good indicator. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. one. Yeah. yeah, your powers of observation, that awareness is going to, you know, give you a lot more information than, you know, just what's happening with your feelings. And yeah. that's what mindfulness is all about, too. It's about, you know, becoming aware and observing and paying attention to your sense, the sensory information that you're getting also. But back to the, yes, family, I think it is important to know a person's family. I think it's important to know, you know, the relationship that this person has with their mother and their father and their siblings and um, how much of an influence they have in their life and how good they are at setting boundaries. All of that stuff is relevant. Right, right. 
Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, um, I've got a load more questions for you. <laughs> I hope we've got enough time. All right. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And uh, my guest is Shaman Ajan, and her book is Seeking Soulmates, Ditch the Dating Game and Find Real Connection. We'll be right back. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws Foster Care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair airs live every Monday at noon. And now you can also catch the show during drive time at 6 a.m. every Friday. Hear from New York Times bestselling authors, innovative business leaders, cutting-edge health and wellness professionals, award-winning journalists, filmmakers, explorers, and adventurers. Tune in to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, Mondays at noon Pacific time and Fridays at 6 a.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And we're talking about finding love in this segment um, my guest is uh, Shamin Ajan, and she, she says, the song says you can't hurry love, but you can make sure you're ready when the right one comes along. And that's what her book is all about. It's called Seeking Soulmate, Ditch the Dating Game and Find Real Connection. And so um, in the first part, Shamin, we talked about um, mind, how you use mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy to uh, help people uh, Find their soulmate to make real connection. Can you give me an example of of how you uh, talk to somebody about that and tell them what they should be looking out for um, when they meet somebody for the first time? Yeah, sure. I mean, it can present itself in so many different ways. And I think the idea is that if you're struggling with dating, that you most likely have some kind of distress or negative thoughts or feelings around it. And that's natural. If something is unpleasant to you, then you're going to have negative thoughts about it. And you're going to have feelings that are unpleasant around it. But a cycle then continues. The more that you start to think about it, the more those feelings are around. And then you start to behave in different ways. You might start to avoid 
categorizing the person or, say, or predicting how the date's going to go. So, for example, if someone comes to me and dating has been really frustrating or it's given them those intense feelings, um, I want for them to be aware of what the thoughts are that are associated with those feelings. Are they thinking that, you know, it's not worth it and they plan on giving up? about uh, um, around dating they don't want to participate in anymore because it's just not worth it to them and they then delete all of their apps off of their phone and they start blowing people off and they (laughs) they stop showing interest in in dating at all that is counterproductive right it's understandable that they would do that but what they really want is that partnership they are protecting themselves they're guarding themselves and so in the end they don't get what they want and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. And so we really work on unpacking that, being aware of what those feelings are and the thoughts that are associated with them and how those thoughts then lead to behaviors that are not in their best interest. And then with the mindfulness, we sit with those thoughts and feelings. We allow ourselves to get uncomfortable with them, and we start to observe it and stop being led by those feelings. And that is something that we all do on some level, too. We are on automatic pilot all the time. We're not paying attention to what our thoughts are. We're not paying attention to what we're doing. And we're being led mindlessly by these thoughts and, and, and these feelings. And so we're practicing taking time to be aware, to, to listen to the thoughts instead of trying to stop them or block them out, and then learning to respond to them in a more effective way. Right, right. We get in our own way an awful lot, don't we? <laughs> we sure do. So what are, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see people make? Um, you know, one of the things that I see with a couple of my friends is that they always pick the same kind of guy, and it never works out for them. Oh, yeah, and they're not even aware of it often. Right. They, they get stuck in a cycle of dating the same person over and over and over again. The packaging might change, right? They might look a little bit different, but underneath it, they end up treating them the same way. They end up having the same kinds of conflicts with these people. Um, and, yeah, that's where that awareness comes into play here because um, if you're not aware of it, you are doomed to keep repeating that cycle over and over and over again. So, yeah, I totally see that one all the time. For me, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, having your head stuck in your phone smartphones, yeah. they are the source of so much mindless behavior. Um, and I see this all the time. I, I might be out with my husband or out with friends, and I'll look and, you know, my radar is, you know, I, I'm looking for people in relationships or people on dates, and you can see people sitting across from each other who are on a date who are looking into their phone. How are you going to connect with somebody? How are you going to get to know the person sitting across from you if you're looking at your phone? And people even use it as a tool to help the other person get to know them. Here, look at my Instagram. Here, look at my Facebook page. That is not how you get to know somebody. Put your phone away. Even if you have it on your table and it's bleeping and beeping because you get a text message, that takes your mind away from the person sitting across from you. So just put your cell phone away. I think that's a huge mistake that people make. Right, right. What about independence? You know, um, a lot of women um, are very independent, and some men like that, some men don't like that. Mm-hmm. I think in the, if you're an independent woman, good for you, and it's important for you to find somebody who, who can uh, respect that, someone who um, sees that as an asset, 
someone who's not threatened by it. You don't want to change that part of yourself so that you can find, you know, a partner that's not the right person for you. Now, I think that there is balance, and I think if you're constantly pushing people away, um, partners away who want to be supportive, um, then that's something else. And so if you find that you are pushing people away who just want to be helpful, who want to care for you, who want to support you, and your independence is getting in the way of that, I think that's something to definitely work on. Right. But, hey, being an independent lady, that's, that's you know, where is that? Right. I'm an independent lady. Right. But, yeah, you can, you can help me. You can, you know, give me a massage. You can bring me my coffee in the morning. I'm, <laughs> I'm cool with all that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think uh, sense of humor is so critical, and it seems to be lacking so much uh, these days. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I work a lot in coffee shops. I have a lot of meetings in coffee shops. And I'm always eavesdropping on what I think are first dates. You know, they've met online and they're meeting at Starbucks or wherever for the first time. I do that too, Vicky. <laughs> I love doing that. But, but what, what strikes me uh, is how it sounds like they're applying for a job. You know, mm-hmm. I'm this and I'm, well, what do you think about that? Well, I think this and I think that. And, and it's yeah. like a tennis match. They're lobbing back there and there's no humor. There's no warmth there. You know, how do you expect to get connection from that? Yeah, I think people do, you know, go into it with the wrong idea. And it is a little bit of an art form that, you know, you you have to learn, you know, a little give, a little take, you know, really kind of being interested in somebody without putting them on, you know, the under the spotlight, you know, like you're you're grilling them. Right, right. (laughs) That that doesn't work. And it's a turnoff also, I think, you know, people feel uncomfortable and makes them well, I feel um, uncomfortable, and I'm only yeah. eavesdropping. <laughs> but I do think, it, on the other, on the flip side, I do like for people to take dates as seriously as they would a job interview. Now, that doesn't mean I want for you to go in and have a list of questions for the person, but I do want for you to, you know, come on time, to be dressed nicely, to, you know, maybe think about know what it is that you want to achieve on the date you know put some forethought into it and respect the other person's time that you know, value their time that they're they're taking to, to be with you right right so I want to talk about the word queer um, because you have a chapter in this book about dating outside the lines which many people do now I mean relationships are very different uh, than they were 20 years ago 50 years ago whatever um, when I was growing up, queer was a word that was used to describe somebody who um, maybe was gay or mm-hmm. or just different. It didn't have to do with sexuality necessarily. Right. Um, and but, it was a demeaning term, too, a, a lot of times. Well, then it became demeaning and you couldn't use it. You stopped using it. And I've noticed it's just bandied around left, right and center today. So yeah. tell us what it means, because you, you say it's actually a positive label now. So talk mm-hmm. to us about that, if you would. Yeah, I think queer is one of those uh, terms that people have taken back. So um, it used to be something that you know was demeaning for a, uh, that was used as a way to put people down, and now I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with sexuality, um, um, but a lot of times it does, it, and it can be about how you identify um, as a, a woman, as a man, as somebody who's cisgender or um, somebody who. Maybe it feels like they are all genders, um, someone who's trans, somebody who's bi. I think it really is all-encompassing, um, and it's one of these terms that is 
um, an umbrella term now can be, you know, people who are questioning. It's just, you know, a term that um, I think anybody can can take and use and um, create the meaning for themselves. Right. Um, we talked about the family situation, it being a myth that, you know, um, don't don't worry if your family doesn't like him. It, 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 you should take that into consideration, him or her, I should say. Uh, you also say here it's important to expect that there, there may be those who are close to you that disapprove of your relationship just because you do not look like your partner. And, of course, we have many multicultural uh, crossovers now. So that's another big issue or hurdle for people to overcome. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it can be very difficult. I live in uh, Brooklyn. So here in Brooklyn, it's kind of the norm to see couples who don't look like each other and families that are, um, you know, create this new kind of looking child, which I think is very wonderful. It's a, it's a huge, um, you know, a, a, a garden salad here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think in a lot of parts of the country, it's, you know, still something that people struggle with. And um, if you are dating somebody who's outside of your culture, who's outside of your ethnicity or your race or um, religion, then, you know, you kind of expect there's probably going to be a little bit of tension around that um, at some point. And, you know, I like for people to um, be aware that that can be a problem, but also don't let that stop them from pursuing a relationship with somebody that they have a really strong connection with. It can um, be hard. It can be difficult. I know. I'm in one of those kinds of relationships, so we, you know, both on both sides have experienced a little bit of issue around that. Right. But now, 18 years into our relationship, you know, our families have embraced each of us, our cultures, and, you know, it's, you know, a loving, accepting environment. You can get past it in most cases. I have had some experiences where people, you know, get disowned um, or, you know, are told that, you know, they're no longer welcome yes. in the family if they continue to do that. And that, you know, can be a, a difficult one to overcome. Right. Um, but, yeah, your relationship is your relationship, and it should be about, you know, what you want, not what your family is imposing on you. So we're right at the end of our segment here, but I want to ask very quickly, um, because you talk about self-compassion and how important this is when we're dating. You say it can foster a much healthier attitude about the process and make it more enjoyable. And um, it can be challenging to cultivate that self-compassion. So a couple of very quick tips there on what we can do for ourselves to make this journey easier. Yeah, you know, self-compassion is it's a practice. It's something that you have to continue to do. And we're, we uh, can get into the habit of thinking that putting ourselves first then makes us self-centered. And that's the, the, the farthest thing from the truth. So I really think that it's important to increase that self-compassion by really taking time to invest in you and what's going to make you feel good. That doesn't mean that you discount everything around you, but put a little si- a time aside each day to take care of yourself, to remind yourself of the things that you love about yourself, to, to care for yourself, to nurture yourself. It's important way of caring for yourself. Um, it's not something that's bad in any kind of way. It will help you to be more in touch with who you are and to be more genuine in the interactions that you're having with your partner or with a potential partner. 
Well, Shaman, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Great book. Uh, I know this is built around the model that you use in your practice to help people with relationships. You've written a ton of stuff on, on dating and relationships. And uh, the best website for people to find out more information about you is? It's shaminajan.com, C-H-A-M-I-N-A-J-J-A-N.com. And you can find me on Instagram, shaminajanpsych, on Facebook, shaminajan, on Twitter, shaminajan. Type in shaminajan in Google and you'll find all of it. There's only <laughs> one of us. <laughs> well, Shamin, thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Vicki. This has been great. And again, my guest, Shamin Ajan, her book, Seeking Soulmate, Ditch the Dating Game and Find Real Connection. And please stay with us. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about From Anxiety to Love with Corinne Zupko. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Have fun this boating season and be safe. When you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard-approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at uscgboating.org. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair airs live every Monday at noon. And now you can also catch the show during drive time at 6 a.m. every Friday. Hear from New York Times bestselling authors, innovative business leaders, cutting-edge health and wellness professionals, award-winning journalists, filmmakers, explorers, and adventurers. Tune in to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, Mondays at noon Pacific time and Fridays at 6 a.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Academy of Canine Behavior, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 15th, it's Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me. As an animal behavior therapist and trainer, I can help you understand your animal friends and resolve any problems you've got going on with them. We'll have open phone lines throughout the show, so plan to give me a call with your questions or any animal-related topic on your mind. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Listeners trust the show and advertisers love the audience. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Well, we are uh, continuing our love and our mindfulness theme, but we're going in a slightly different direction now. Um, as I said at the at top of the hour, a 18 plus million Americans suffer with anxiety uh, in one form or another, uh, including my guest who's joining us now. She is Corinne Zubko, and uh, she's the author of From Anxiety to Love. She's a licensed counselor and keynote speaker and has helped thousands of individuals through her one-on-one counseling, uh, through meditation classes for corporations and conferences and uh, many, many more avenues And uh, again, her book is called From Anxiety to Love, A Radical New Approach for Letting Go of Fear and Finding Lasting Peace. Corinne Zupko, welcome. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to connect with you. And likewise. And um, I know that you uh, you say in the book you were born anxious. <laughs> yeah. It began very young for you. So uh, tell us what that, what, how that manifested itself for you, Corinne. Yeah, well, I was actually diagnosed with my very first anxiety disorder at the age of around two. I was diagnosed with separation anxiety disorder. My poor mother could not leave the room, even in our own house, without me screaming my head off. So (laughs) I was a very anxious child. And as I grew, the anxiety, although maybe the separation anxiety got better, it sort of morphed and changed and came out in different ways, like through phobias through worries about health fears, and then in college, panic attacks and just uncontrollable worry. And so what point um, did this become debilitating for you or did it become totally debilitating? It really became debilitating. You know, I could get by until the panic attack started when I was in college. That was when it really knocked me off my feet. And at that point, my very first acute episode it was actually hard for me to eat because my stomach was in such a physical knot. So that was when it really, really got very bad. And I knew, you know, it brought me to my knees and it it brought me to a willingness to try anything to get better. Right. And you write in the book that when you had your first uh, panic attack, you called your mom on the phone. Of course, who who else would we call but mom? And (laughs) you, you dedicate the book to your mom and to Joseph for remembering the light for you when you could not remember it for myself. How, mm-hmm. how did they uh, remember the light for you and get you through those times? So my mom and, my, and Joseph, my stepdad, are were already dedicated students of this spiritual pathway called The Course in Miracles. And they just refused to believe that I was going to be lost in this forever. They sided instead with trusting that I was going to find my way through this. And rather than add to my worry of reacting and by reacting in ways like, oh my goodness, you know, what's happening? What can we do for you? Are you okay? They were always very calm. They were always very certain. They really never lost the belief that I was going to pull through this. And so they're remembering that they're they're remembering that the light was in me sort of held it for me until I could come to find that light, that peace within myself. Mm. You say that the biggest lesson you've learned from anxiety is uh, that your small sense of self is not who I am. And I want to talk about this small sense of self because you say that comes from ego. So what tell us what you mean by small sense of self. So by small sense of self, this again is coming from this particular spiritual pathway called the Course in Miracles, which has been very influential and very helpful to me in addition to other pathways like mindfulness. Um, The small sense of self is really our identity in this world. It's, It's this belief that I am just Corinne, that I'm limited to a body and that, um, that I'm not actually a being that is made of eternal love. And so recognizing the anxiety was so painful, it brought me to open my mind to spirituality, whereas I had been very closed down to it before. So the small sense of self, I feel in my experience, is where the anxiety was coming from as I learned how to open my mind to have experiences that showed me 
that I'm actually connected with everything, that we're all joined through love, that we truly are one, that's where the anxiety really started to fall away. Right, right. You write a lot about the fact that we're never alone. Now, for some people sitting out there listening, they might feel very, very alone. So what would you say to them about that? There's a quote in A Course in Miracles that says, if you knew who walked beside you on the way that you have chosen, fear would be impossible. And that's always been so comforting to me in that if you think about an onion, <laughs> I'm going to go to an onion real quick. Right, right. At the center of the onion is love. But all the layers of that onion are layers of fear. And we've just sort of put these layers in our mind and it's blocking out this awareness of love's presence, which is a presence that's with us all the time. We're just not aware of it. So not being aware of it, of course, we're going to feel lonely. Of course, we're going to feel all alone. But if we can open our minds to the fact, well, maybe, maybe there is this higher part of myself that I can connect with that is here, but I'm just not aware of it. Maybe I can actually have a sense, you know, of that um, through experience and and come to find that like love is always by my side, that that whatever you want to call it, spirit, um, we can find different words. I like using the word love because it's more accessible, I think, for many of us, that that awareness of love's presence is actually in our minds. Right. I like that word, too, uh, actually. And you say that listening to the voice of love uh, takes practice, uh, that inner peace is an event. Uh, it's not an event. It's a process. And it takes time. And we're going to have setbacks along the way. So how do we cope with those? What do we tell ourselves? Those setbacks are, I'd like to reframe them rather than as setbacks. They're just opportunities to grow. They're just another layer of that onion coming to the surface to bring it to the light, to bring it to love. And so if we can actually refrain from thinking about our challenges as setbacks and instead as opportunities, opportunities to practice the things that I talk about in my book, opportunities to practice mindfulness. If we can see that as an opportunity, as just another layer of the onion that, that we're being given a chance to heal, that changes everything. So it is true that inner peace is a process. It's not just something that we get once and keep. It's going to be that process where we can continually work to utilize the skills that we are developing um, that I talk about in my book or even in, in other pathways as well. Right, right. Um, you call the uh, you call ego or the voice of fear, if you will, in our minds, you call that going down the rabbit hole, <laughs> down the ego, <laughs> ego rabbit hole. And um, that's something that I, I know from having talked with many people over the years that they seem to loop around. Um, they get to a place where they feel start feeling good. They start feeling comfortable uh, with this new new um, process, if you will, of, of feeling love. And then along comes this this little voice of fear again in our mind, and they loop back down that rabbit hole. So, how do what what do you say to people about that? That's a great question. And the if you think about that we have two thought systems in our mind. We have that fearful thought system of the ego, and we have this loving thought system as well. And inevitably, you know, if, if something, um, if we're starting to loosen our grip on a fearful thought system, 
and we decide like, oh, I do like feeling happy. I do like feeling peaceful. I do like listening to this loving thought system. There is part of our mind that's actually afraid that if we give up this fearful thought system that we're going to lose something. And it's that part of our mind that sometimes then kicks up a little bit to, like you're saying, you know, sort of loop back and get caught down this ego rabbit hole again. So we'll have a thought like, oh, I'm not as advanced as I should be. You know, I should be doing better by now. And we start the self-judgment talk, which brings us right back down into that, that fearful thought system. So in that moment, we can just pause and notice that that's all that's happened is that we've just simply chosen to listen to that fearful voice again. It's so important that we not feel guilty or not feel bad about it because it's part of our learning. It's part of our journey. And in that moment, we can then just say, I want to choose again. I want to have a shift about this. I do want to be happy. I do want to experience that joy and that peace again. And I'm willing. And that willingness is everything to come back to love. Mm. I'm going to take a break now because uh, we'll go a little early because I want to ask you about the voice of our inner therapist. And I don't want to have to interrupt us <laughs> while we're talking about that because uh, I have a lot of questions around that. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair and my guest is Corinne Zupko. Her book is called From Anxiety to Love, A Radical New Approach for Letting Go of Fear and Finding Lasting Peace. Have fun this boating season and be safe. When you're in open water, it's not enough to be a good swimmer. River currents, ocean riptides, and cold temperatures can quickly sweep you off course and disorient you. Don't rely on swim aids such as water wings or noodles. Everyone should wear a Coast Guard-approved life jacket. Make sure you know CPR and never drink and boat. Learn more about boating safety from the professionals at uscgboating.org. Brought to you by supporters of Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Live well and live strong. Reach her great audience and advertise. Learn more at conversationslive.net. Broaden your horizons. You'll be amazed at all the topics we cover on Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And uh, I'm talking right now with counselor and professor and author, speaker, Corinne Zupko. Her book is called From Anxiety to Love, A Radical New Approach for Letting Go of Fear and Finding Lasting Peace. And we uh, started off this segment saying that Corinne suffered from uh, anxiety uh, to a crippling degree herself and over the years has helped thousands of people with her work. So we're very pleased to have you here, Corinne. And I want to dive straight in uh, to what you call the inner therapist. You say we've all got an inner therapist. So tell us what that means. We sure do. So our inner therapist, you can think about as a part of your own mind that remembers love. It's a part of our mind that knows peace. It knows of our eternal nature. It tells us of our innocence. And it is a healing part of our mind because it remembers love. So we can turn to this part of our mind instead of listening to that ego part of the mind, the fearful voice that we're so well acquainted with. As we turn to the voice of the inner therapist, we have experiences that reinforce the peace that's already within us. We have experiences that remove those layers of the onion to help us experience that love beneath. 
And so if somebody finds it hard connecting with their inner therapist, um, how do you take them back to basics? Back to basics. So a great tool that I talk about in the book is to first think about how if you go to a radio station and you listen to a country radio station, you're not going to get mad at that radio station for not playing hip hop. You're just going to turn the channel. You're going to go to a different radio station. The voice of fear and the inner therapist voice, the voice of love are like that in our mind. So typically that voice of fear comes through our head, through our thoughts, at least it does for me. The voice of our inner therapist is going to be in a different channel. It's going to be a different place in our body where we might sense it. And what I'm talking about for folks who are very intuitive or have had intuitive experiences, another word for inner therapist is your intuition. So you might pause and ask your inner therapist, where in my body can I most easily attune to you and see where your attention goes? So it might be that you get that gut feeling in your gut or somewhere in your core, or maybe your heart feels like it fills up with a little bit more love when you're listening to this intuition. And that's a place where we can then bring our mind when we're asking for guidance and when we're trying to connect with that part of ourselves, of our inner therapist. Right, right. I want to ask you how somebody copes with a panic attack. You certainly have plenty yourself. So you've learned (laughs) learned to manage them. Um, And I've never really had a a full-blown panic. I've had a very mild one, um, which I didn't even know was a panic attack. But Um, so I've never experienced one. So for somebody who does, I understand they can be very, very difficult. Um, so how do you start to manage those? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And, you know, my heart goes out to anybody who does experience them because they are no fun. And the first thing that I have folks remind themselves is that the panic is in time. And so it's going to come to an end. It's not going to last forever. The second thing is that you're not going crazy. Healthy people without an anxiety disorder or other disorders have panic attacks. So it's really important for us to know that you are not going crazy, even though it might feel like you're losing your mind because the fear is so intense. A way that we can all move through panic attacks and even experience benefit right now, even if you're not having a panic attack, is to notice where you're breathing. So if you place one hand on your chest and the other hand on your belly, is your breath mostly coming from high up in the chest? So is that upper hand doing most of the moving or is the lower hand moving as well? I would encourage everybody, no matter how you're sitting or standing, just soften your abdominal muscles. And immediately right now, if you're softening your abdominal muscles that you don't need, you might notice that your breath automatically feels more full, it feels more complete, and it's a breath that's associated with relaxation. So if you think about a puppy or a baby and how they breathe with their whole belly, we've lost that as adults. We tend Mm -hmm. to tighten our belly and breathe really shallow up in our chest. So just doing this little act in the middle of a panic attack or even not in a panic attack, this can help us find more ease. And if you do have a panic attack, this can help you move through it much more quickly because you're changing your physiology and allowing your breath to just regulate itself. Right, right. Um, So do you still have those? I mean, do they still occur occasionally? No, I'm happy to say it's been years since I've had any anything close to panic or debilitating anxiety. To give you a quick picture 
I'm now doing things that I never thought I'd be capable of, including flying on an airplane without medication, without my husband, across the country, by myself, feeling totally at ease during turbulence. So this is the lasting change that I've experienced. Now, of course, I still have a brain and I still have an amygdala, so I still feel stressed sometimes right, and right. still can get overwhelmed, but it does not reach at all the levels that it used to. And if you could see me then and see me now, you'd be like, that's like two different people. So I so, so believe for everyone that there's always hope. Well, I think the more tools you have in your toolbox to pull from, the better you are. <laughs> the better Absolutely. Off you'll be. I agree. I agree. Um, one of the questions, you have a, a Q&A at the back of the book, and one of the questions is, where does anxiety come from? And you say the deepest cause of anxiety comes from the sleeping part of the child mind. Talk to us about that. So this is going deep into the metaphysical teachings of A Course in Miracles. And you can think about our child mind as being, the Course says that we are part of the mind of God. And again, think about God as love, if that word God doesn't resonate with you. We are that pure mind, but right now we are thinking that we are these bodies. We're having this concrete experience instead of this you know, divine sort of abstraction. And so there's part of that mind of which we are all a part of that has sort of gone to sleep and thinks that it's separate from our source. And that part of our mind that's gone to sleep is actually kind of terrified that it has actually done something wrong, that it's pulled off this dream of separation. Um, And so that's like a deep place where anxiety can manifest from. And I know it sounds totally out there and totally crazy, and you don't have to buy it at all. (laughs) But if the teachings of the course resonate with you, I found for myself that going to this deeper level is like digging really deep into my mind. And I've been surprised to uncover unconscious fear and unconscious guilt that I didn't even know that I was carrying. So as I've allowed those more hidden fears to come up for me to look at with my inner teacher, my inner therapist, um, I found that the fears have fallen away. And again, more peace has returned. So there's been something to this process for me and my experience of diving deep into my mind. And, you know, whether or not that's actually true, like what I just said, um, it's still a helpful way to conceptualize about, you know, what the mind is and, and what we are and what what God is. So I know it sounds a little out there, but well, <laughs> well, when, when you're talking about miracles, we should be clear, you're not for those who aren't familiar with Course in Miracles, you're not talking magical events here. Right, right. Yeah. It's not like poof, suddenly, you know, there is something here that wasn't before. It, miracles are expressions of love. Miracles are shifts in perception from fear to love. So when we experience these miracles, they're actually subtle. They are little. They are a restored sense of peace that we get from a shift. So um, these miracles we need because we uh, there's a lot of reason in the world to be fearful. But when we meet fear with fear, we're only creating, we're only pumping fuel into fear. When we meet fear with love, we're taking out the fuel to fear's fire and and love is all that's left. So right, yes, miracles right. are expressions of love. Right. And very quickly, because we've only got uh, like 60 seconds at the most left here, but um, 
you say it can be hard for people to distinguish between the voice of the ego and the voice of the inner therapist when they're new to the work. But you say the voice of the ego is is fear. Obviously, it's full of judgment and it's going to be loud, uh, whereas the voice of our inner therapist <laughs> is going to be soft and compassionate. Anything yes. else to add to that? Yeah, this is where meditation is so important. And you can ease into meditation. You don't have to just start sitting for 45 minutes at a time, just a minute even. The quieter we can get, the easier it gets at tuning into this softer, quieter, loving voice in our minds. Because just like you said, that ego voice of judgment is really loud. It's really harsh (laughs) and it really is good at capturing our attention. Okay, well, Karen Zepko, thank you so much for being with us. Um, there's a lot in here, I think, that makes your book a little different because you've included your own personal experiences in here too. Um, the best website is from anxietytolove.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's yeah. correct. From anxietytolove.com. And you can find about, more about Corinne and her work up there. And um, final, very quick 30 seconds you'd like to leave our listeners with. I would like to tell folks, no matter what your problem is, no matter what it is that you're struggling with, with, whether it's anxiety, depression, whatever, there is always hope. When I was knocked out on the couch with anxiety, my stepdad looked at me and said, Corinne, the light in you is too bright to fail. And so everybody listening, I say this to you now, the light in you is too bright to fail. Oh, perfect. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you, Corinne, so much for being with us today. (laughs) I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Take care. And again, uh, Corinne Zepko, my guest, and you can find out more at FromAnxietyToLove.com. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. And you can find uh, me at 1-800-495-7617, 1-800-495-7617. You can also find me at Facebook on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And you can find us on Twitter uh, at Vicki St. Clair. And uh, very quickly, I wanted to let you know that... Um, the lady who joined me last week, my guest who joined me last week, Roseanne Lake, and her book on China is going to be at Third Place Books on March 16th. So you can find out more about that at the Third Place website. Or you can give me a call, 800-495-7617. All right, that's it. Until next week, we will see you then. And uh, have a great week. Live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.